Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi there! Welcome to History in Retrograde. This is the podcast where we use the ancient art of astrology to help us better understand the past. I'm your co-host, Chandler O'Quinn, and joining me live via satellite is my mom! Hi, Mom! Hi, Chandler! How are you? I'm doing very well. Are you ready to begin another grand experiment? I am. I'm very ready. Let's go! All right, let's give it a whirl! Okay, and I just want to say hello, everybody. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you for sharing the show. We really appreciate it, and we love you. Yes, uh, thank you all so much for uh, listening, and uh, this is actually going to be our uh, season finale. Uh, so episode 30 of uh, season one, uh, This will be uh, we'll be taking a little break after this. Uh, we'll be posting a few uh, bonus episodes uh, over the summer, and then uh, we'll be coming back uh, with uh, brand new episodes uh, around uh, the beginning of July. Um, but uh, yeah, we just want to thank you all so much uh, for uh, listening to this uh, crazy experiment of ours. And uh, of course, uh, for those of you, if this is your first episode, uh, well, welcome. Uh, even though this is our uh, season finale, we got a really good one to start you off with. Uh, so uh, the way that this uh, show works is that in a moment, I will give the uh, astrological birth data of a random historical figure to my mother. Uh, now, you, the listening audience, already know who this historical figure is. It is in the title of today's episode. Uh, I, of course, know who it is because I selected this person, or it's actually persons uh, for uh, this episode. Uh, now, but mom has no idea who these people could be. Uh, so, uh, in a moment, I will give her the data necessary to create an astrological birth chart. That is the birth date, time, and location of our mystery history guests. She will then input that data into the bat computer, and out will come the astrological birth chart, where all of the planets, moons, and stars were at the moment these people were born. 
She will then do her best uh, to give a blind reading of these charts, telling us what she can about the different personality traits, characteristics, fortunes uh, of uh, these mystery history guests. Uh, I'll ask a few discussion questions, uh, then reveal to her uh, who our guests are, and then uh, give a little background about uh, who they are and what they did, and then we'll come together at the end and see how accurate the charts were at predicting what they would do. Uh, so without any further ado, let us begin. Okay, I'm ready. Uh, so our first person is a male. All right. Born on the 29th of May. All right. Uh huh. Nineteen seventeen. Nineteen seventeen. Do we have a time? We do. Uh, it is three p.m. Three. Three p.m. Exactly. Exactly. No All right. So we have a location in the United States. Uh huh. Brookline, Massachusetts. Are we just going to look at this chart first? Yes, we're going to look at this chart, uh, and uh, I'll ask uh, questions about it, and we'll uh, go all the way through it, and then we'll begin with our next uh, person. Wow. Okay. Uh, so you see all this, right? Mm -hmm. There's very little down here. Right. Okay, so... Um, once again, we have a person with Libra rising. All right. Now, um, we'll just go through. We'll, we'll go through all of the um, planets uh, first, and then we will go through the houses. So this person has sun at seven degrees Gemini, moon at 17 degrees Virgo, Mercury at 20 degrees Taurus, Venus at 16 degrees Gemini, Mars at 18 degrees Taurus, Jupiter at 23 degrees Taurus, Saturn at 27 degrees Capricorn, Uranus at 23 degrees Aquarius, Neptune at 2 degrees Leo, Pluto at 3 degrees Cancer, North Node at 11 degrees Capricorn, and Chiron at 29 degrees Pisces. And we know that 29 degrees is significant. It doesn't always have to be the degree of sorrow. It's just definitely significant when you have a 29 degree or a zero degree. Those are very significant. So let's look at how this falls in the chart. Since we have uh, Libra on the ascendant, we have Libra as the rising sign. Uh, this person should have been very um, either handsome or easy on the eyes or, you know, like like when you see this person, they they make you feel like, you know, you're very comfortable to meet with them. All right. Scorpio on the second house, nothing in that house. Sag on the third house. And they do have, see how it changes from Sag to Capricorn right here in the middle of their third house, Chandler. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, they have that north node at 11 degrees in the third house in Capricorn. Now having a north node in Capricorn, that's got to make you businessy, executivey, in chargey. <laughs> somehow, somehow in there, uh, it is in the third house, which is ruled by, um, you know, Gemini. So it's communications, uh, writing, um, siblings, uh, early uh, ele elementary school uh, things. 
uh, are ruled by the third house. Fourth house. So, uh, so just to go back, the uh, with the North Node and Capricorn in the third house, would uh, early childhood and siblings have some sort of connection to the business and executive direction? It could, because it's the North Node, right? So it is their direction. It is their karmic direction. It is the North Node is what you're working on in this life. It's different than Saturn, because Saturn is more like what you're learning. North Node is your direction. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. So then we have fourth house uh, is Capricorn because it's still in Capricorn here. Okay. And, but it does change to Aquarius and we do have Uranus in Aquarius, see, at 23 degrees in the fourth house, which is very interesting because having Uranus and Aquarius in the fourth house, you know, because Uranus is ruled I mean, Uranus rules Aquarius, right? So now we have Uranus in Aquarius in the fourth house. So we have like double Aquarius out of the blue things. Like this person could have, could move a lot or live in unusual places or want to live in unusual places or have their home decorated in a very unusual way. Uh, that kind of thing. So that's interesting. And then fifth house is, um, you know, fourth house is Capricorn. Fifth house is is Aquarius, but it changes right here to Pisces, all right? So there's nothing in there, but this fifth house could have a lot of creativity involved with, um, uh, uh, it could be show business, it could be leadership, it could be romance, it could be a lot of things going on in that fifth house ruled by Leo. And then we have a uh, uh, sixth house, Caspis Pisces, and they have Chiron at 29 degrees Pisces in the sixth house. But we barely have very many, very, very much at all in Pisces before it changes to Aquarius. I mean, to Aries. See this? Mm-hmm. How it changes? And, um, so interesting because it's 29 degrees Pisces in the sixth house. So that's kind of uh, interesting as far as work is concerned because it can be healing, like uh, having Chiron and Pisces uh, can be a healer. And it can be somehow they heal things at work. Um, but it has to do with how they work, the way they work, somehow they are, um, I don't know, somehow they're creatively healing something. Uh, then we have seventh house cuspus Aries. There's nothing in that, but hold on to your hats because we have one, two, three, four, five planets, (laughs) the eighth house, which is ruled by Taurus. We start with Taurus and we move to Gemini. So this is very significant to have this kind of um, activity in your eighth house. It's just a lot for the eighth house. So we have Mars and Mercury and Jupiter and Sun and Venus all in the eighth house. So this is quite a lot. Um, 
Uh, okay, well, let's just start with Mars. Mars and uh, Mercury and Jupiter. Mars conjunct. Mars is at 18, conjunct Jupiter at 23. Yes, because it's conjunct by degree. And then uh, Mars conjunct Mercury. So there is a lot going on here with this person's legacy and um, occult and power and just everything that is ruled by Pluto. You know, sexuality and and uh, uh, things that are taboo and just quite a lot is going on here. And then Sun at seven degrees Gemini and Venus at sixteen degrees Gemini. So not conjunct by degree, but definitely conjunct by sign. And um, very very heavy eighth house uh could be power could be because oh it's a lot and it i mean it's these lighter planets you know so but taurus is intense but these three right here all in taurus jupiter and mercury and mars whatever this person's direction is they are steadfast in this direction and nothing is going to stop them from what they're trying to do, they've got Jupiter there, you know? Then Sun conjunct Venus and Gemini. This person should have been very uh, gregarious and and chatty and charming. Um, I can't imagine that they were not. There's a lot going on right here. Ninth house, they have Pluto in Cancer in the ninth house. So... Pluto in the ninth house, their philosophy should have been very intense with them uh, because ninth house is ruled by Sagittarius, but having Pluto there and Pluto in Cancer would be a very um, powerful, possibly psychic ability, uh, intuition, intuitive, um, very... Uh, powerful emotions, uh, probably significant mother, maybe a powerful mother. Um, then we go to 10th house, which has Neptune and Saturn. Neptune at two degrees Leo and Saturn at 27 degrees Cancer. So that Saturn at 27 degrees also has some Leo to it. You know what I mean? Because it's on the cusp. And the Neptune also has some Cancer to it because it's two degrees Leo. And in the 10th house, Neptune conjuncts Saturn in the 10th house with all that Leo and Cancer. And that's career. So, I mean... Literally, like in a literal sense, this person could have taught <laughs> magic. <laughs> they could have taught magic. But uh, their 10th house is mostly Leo. I mean, their cusp is Cancer, but and their midhaven is Cancer. So I'm very interested because I, I would like to know how, the, how this person, this person is a lot. 
Hmm. Okay. And then the 11th house having the moon in the 11th house in Virgo. So having moon in Virgo is kind of like having moon in Capricorn, only Virgo is just going to be more set about work and work ethic and possibly healing and organization and research and medicine, all of these things that are very Virgo for the moon, which makes them very organized with their emotions. It should make them very organized with their emotions where like moon and Capricorn is more like, I don't want to deal with my emotions. I'm good. I don't need them. They are not logical. You know what I mean? But moon in Virgo is going to organize those feelings and, and organize them somehow with groups of people because it's the 11th house. So it's groups of friends uh, groups of people, people, and it's Virgo, so it's some sort of communication, or uh, this person could have been a very organized orator, could have been very good at somehow relating, um, like, uh, I want to say whatever their emotions are uh, to groups of people in an organized fashion. Is any of this making any sense? Yes. <laughs> okay. Do you have any questions about this person? Yes. Um, what profession would you see them going into? Wow. Other than magic teacher. <laughs> they teach magic. Um, oh, man. This is so hard because... This person's got this insane ape house, which is uh, really intense. <sighs> um, and that that oh. I mean, they whatever they are, they're powerful. You know, I would I would think they could be a politician, um, because ape house is ruled by Scorpio. And they do also have that Neptune conjunct Saturn in the 10th house, which would be like Neptune conjunct Saturn is kind of like the ability to uh, cloak, you know, cloak, like cloak yourself from the public. Wow. I don't know. They don't have eighth house. I mean, ugh, that's a lot of Pluto and Scorpio. Taurus. I mean, maybe... I don't know. I, 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 this one is an enigma to me. So I'm just going to go for now with possibility. Some sort of, I don't know. Their legacy is incredible. Very powerful. I can't just see these people, this person, I don't know. I don't feel like this person is in show business. I feel like this person is in a, Another very powerful position. Uh, very powerful legacy. You know, like they would have definitely been known. It could have been known everywhere. But there's a show business quality to it. Well, it could full on go show business because that Neptune in, that Neptune in the 10th house is filmmaker. You know, it could be a filmmaker. It could be... Uh, any kind of uh, show business and lessons with the illusion, teaching the illusion, 
creating the illusion in this Saturn conjunct Neptune, right? Because it can be, um, and it's just imagination and the veil. So it could definitely be show business. Easy. You know, they've got Chiron and Pisces in the sixth house, which is like work in creative things, you know. And then um, North Node and Capricorn, they would have been, they should have been really smart, like businessy. You know what I mean? In show business. they If they're in show business, they're very, they're very savvy, you know. They shouldn't be wishy-washy. They should know the business, really know the business and be able to communicate the business, you know, mm-hmm. and get their way. Mm-hmm. Is this making sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. I have no idea what the two of them are. Do you have questions? Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, uh, tell me about their parents. Well, this person has son in Gemini in the eighth house. So I would assume that the father was rather gregarious, perhaps, and maybe powerful because it's eighth house, which is legacy and inheritance and all that, you know. And Moon and Virgo, the mother might have been very um, uh, organized, very, could have been a, 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 could have even been like a nurse, you know, but uh, organized and very meticulous about things, probably, you know, and, uh, but not necessarily gushing like a moon and you know, like a moon in in, uh, in Cancer would be, you know, or even like a moon in Leo or a moon in Aries, you know, where they'd be like, my baby, you know. I don't know that they would be so much. They would be more, uh, not cold, but just organized, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, tell me about their siblings. What's their relationship with their uh, siblings? Well, they have North Node in Capricorn in the third house. They could be in business with their siblings. Their siblings could be significantly involved with the direction, whatever direction they're going, you know? And you've uh, touched on this a little bit, but uh, if you could describe a little bit more um, about their relationship to um, charisma and uh, their personal appearance. Okay, so anytime we have Libra on the first house, I Libra is very pretty, right? Libra is also known for being very um, fair, fair-minded. You know, a Libra is the person that you want to go to to say, okay, well, can you help us settle a dispute? And the Libra will be very careful to meticulously make sure that they are getting the facts straight and that they are fair, you know? You expect a Libra to be fair. And if <laughs> the dark side of Libra is kind of narcissist, you know, they're very pretty. They're, I love myself. I'm very pretty. So that would be kind of the dark side of that. But um, then you have this eighth house with all this power, right? And you have this Mars conjunct Mercury conjunct Jupiter in Taurus, which would make them very... Uh, um, precise and 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 almost like when they speak it takes them a while 
to clarify what they're saying, but people enjoy it because Jupiter's there and that's a lot. So people like it. And that has to do with their passion, whatever their passion is. Uh, they also have this sun conjunct Venus and Gemini, which, which should make them uh, very likable, very gregarious. I mean, dark side of Gemini is a mess. Those men are, uh, you don't, I don't know. I, I, dark side of Gemini is always, a predicament for me because um, it's just, you know, rakish and, and, and roguish and not trustworthy <laughs> at all. So hopefully this is not the case with this person. Hopefully this is a very good person. All this, you know, Taurus is keeping them in line and they're using their Gemini stuff for good and their Saturn conjunct Neptune in the 10th house is working for them and their Pluto and Cancer is doing what it's supposed to do with their dogma and their travel and their, you know, all those Sagittarian things. Okay. Um, uh, how would women view him? Well, I would assume that women would think this was a very handsome man. And I would assume that this man also, because he has Aries on the seventh house, has a pretty good idea what to do with that handsomeness. I would also think that with all of the power, I mean, women are attracted to power. Uh, men are attracted. Everybody's attracted to power, you know? And I would think that this person was very powerful. They definitely had power. They have uh, inheritance. They uh, maybe came into this life with all of this legacy and and, and all these I don't know, some kind of like this Torian rules, you know, um, something about, you know, the family legacy and rules of the family or something like that. I think we're going to have a pretty good reaction when you figure out who this is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, what is his relationship to monogamy? Well... You know, when you're this powerful and you're that pretty <laughs> and you got Aries on the seventh house, that's a lot of passion. Uh, I, I don't know that. Um, I mean, I mean, on one hand, this guy could be. Oh, nope, he couldn't. I don't think this guy could be that monogamous. I just think he's too wanted and. He's got all this stuff in the eighth house, which is sex and and um, uh, what am I looking for? Um, taboo things like taboo things, right? He's got Venus in the eighth house, uh, Venus and Mars. This guy, I don't, I don't, I don't know about him being so monogamous. And uh, what is his relationship to controlled substances? Well, I mean, he does have Neptune conjunct Saturn in the 10th house. So Neptune, you know, you always look to Neptune whenever you're dealing with, you know, drug addiction or uh, um, his career could have made him into an alcoholic <laughs> because it's 10th house, right? So he's got Neptune in the 10th house. So... Uh, he could have a fairly decent relationship with his addictions. 
Like, he might even be able to somehow control his addictions because he's got Saturn there, right? And Saturn is control. So maybe. I mean, but there's definitely the possibility that the addictions have to do with his career. Well, whatever career this person has, um, it has to do with communicating and uh, maybe writing or, but not necessarily performing. But then again, Chiron and Pisces in the sixth house work could be singing or writing or, you know, poetry or whatever. Mm. Um, if this person was put into a military situation, uh, how would they handle it? Where would they be? Well, Mars. Okay. We look to Mars for war. This person has Mars and Taurus, you know, in the eighth house. I would imagine that they would be up the scale. If not, they would, I mean, they would be really, really passionate about it, you know, in the eighth house. So I don't think that this person would, (laughs) this is not a person that would run away. This person's going to walk right straight towards it. Now, not like Sag. Sag will ride on a horse towards it. Okay. Just full blazing in the wind, heading towards it. You know, not not one qualm. But a Taurus is going to think about it, and they're going to move towards it. They will not move away. They will not be afraid. Is this making sense? Yes. Oh, good. Um, what is his relationship to finances? Well, <clears throat> he has Scorpio on the second house. Okay, and that changes to Sagittarius about midway through. You see this right here? Mm-hmm. Halfway through the second house, it moves from Scorpio to Sag. <sighs> That's not necessarily the best for finances. Hmm. Uh, but, because Sagittarians, I mean, Sagittarians can be good at business, but Sagittarians and Geminis are not necessarily in love with money, if you know what I mean. But uh, this person has North Node and Capricorn, all right? Now, North Node and Capricorn could make you very financially uh, directed, you know? Having your North Node in Capricorn would give you some serious financial uh, backbone. And then also having Mars conjunct Mercury and, and, and Jupiter in Taurus. That's going to give you some financial backbone in the eighth house. That's what I mean. This person could have just been born into money, you know. Uh, but these things in the eighth house definitely will make this person financially. Taurus people like um, nice things, you know. They like, and they're not, they're not particularly like gaudy or flashy about it. Uh, they just have very nice, lovely, expensive things. They like that, you know? So I would say this person probably had a good relationship with money. Not from the second house. Mm. That's not where it's coming from. But from this North Node in Capricorn and all this in Taurus in the eighth house, right? There should be some money. Okay. 
Um, what kind of student is he? Well, ninth house is higher education. And this person has Pluto in their ninth house. So this can go either way. They could have been a very powerful scholarly type of person, or they could have had death and rebirth with their feeling about education. I would think that with Pluto there, it would give them a more powerful connection to their education and higher education and philosophies. It is in Cancer, so maybe, you know, their higher education is not to be like a doctor or lawyer, but maybe a philosopher or um, something watery, something Cancerian, you know, something nurturing-ish, maybe. But it's Pluto in the ninth house, so there should be a powerful connection to all those things in the ninth house. Uh, what is his relationship to water? Well, he should like water. He's got Pluto in Cancer. He's got Chiron in Pisces. Um, he's got... Oh, that's not... Okay, let's see. He's got, you know, in halfway through his first house, it changes to Scorpio, Okay. So his first house cusp is Libra, but halfway through it changes to Scorpio. And now I'm realizing that not only is this person handsome, they're probably kind of sexy. Um, let's see. What else is water? We have Chiron. So maybe their work. I mean, they have Chiron in the sixth house. They have Pisces on their sixth house cusp. Their, their work could have something to do with water. But also this Pluto... In this cancer, water sign could be death and rebirth, you know, with water. They, water could, could also be, you know, like a problem. But it could be very powerful. And Saturn in cancer, you know, lessons with water could be. Hmm. Um, if a conflict arose and there are two options... One of them being a uh, a physical fight to resolve the problem, and one of them being talk it out. Uh, which one do you think you would try and go for? Well, he has Mercury and Taurus, so I mean, he also has Mercury conjunct Mars conjunct <laughs> conjunct Jupiter. So in the eighth house. So I mean, but having Sun. And Venus and Gemini would lead him to the more, you know, cerebral uh, behavior, right? But this, I wouldn't put it past this guy. This guy could pummel somebody if he wanted to. He's got Mars in Taurus. If he wants to hurt somebody, he could. So he, it's going to be a struggle within him to figure out which one he wants to go towards. Yeah, but I mean... With all this stuff in the eighth house, I don't know that smart people would like be like, "Yeah, let's fight him." Uh, you'd have to be real stupid to want to fight this guy. I wouldn't want to fight this guy. I mean, I would rather walk away. And I have Mars and Aries, but Mars and Taurus is different. Mars and Aries is very fiery and fast and quick, right? Mars and Taurus 
is is a different animal. It's it's like fighting a a woolly beast, you know. And not the same as Sag, because Sag is a wild beast. They're crazy wild things, but you know what I mean. Yeah, I get, I get that there would be a, a physical component to him, and uh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, this guy has a temper, okay? He's got Mars and Taurus, but he's not going to fly off the handle the way a Mars and Aries would, all right? A Mars and Aries might just fight you. Like, just, Mars and Aries probably fight you just because it's fun, you know? It's like, really? That's what we're going to do? Mm-hmm. Okay, let's go. You know, but a Mars and Taurus isn't just going to fight you. They're going to win, mm-hmm. okay? Where a Mars and Aries kind of likes to fight, right? And maybe Mars and Sag kind of likes it, you know? They like the scrappy, you know? Okay. But Mars and Taurus, and probably Mars and, and Scorpio, they're going to win, all right? That, they're not fighting to fight. They're fighting to win, if mm. that makes any sense. Okay. That's how it should be. Um, uh, is this a healthy person, physically? Well, uh, all these planets in the 8th house, uh, I, I would assume with all this Taurus, you know, Mars and Taurus, Jupiter and Taurus, Jupiter conjunct their Mars, their Sun conjunct Venus, I would think they were healthy, but all that's in the eighth house, which is anybody's guess, you know? Um, it's, uh, if somebody, if, if this person had all these planets in the first house, I go, oh yeah, they're probably going to live forever, you know? But I mean, there's a possibility that this person could deal with that whole, you know, Plutonian death and rebirth thing where they get sick and come back. But sixth house, they also have, you know, in their sixth house, which is health, they have Chiron and Pisces in the sixth house, which could be an issue. And then they have, no, I, I mean, just my first thing would be, I think they're healthy, but issues could come and go. Mm. If that makes any sense. Okay. And I hate to be wishy-washy, but I'm talking about the eighth house, which is death and rebirth. So I don't know. Uh, how would this person do in a debate? I wouldn't want to debate this person. Not with Sun and Venus and Gemini and Mercury conjunct Jupiter conjunct Mars in Taurus. This person might not be as quick as like a person who has like five planets in Gemini. But this person is going to get the point of whatever the debate is. And they're going to continue to persevere towards that point, if that makes sense. Okay. Uh, is there uh, any other uh, feelings or impressions that you uh, get off of this chart before we move on? I think that this is a person that um, I may be interested in knowing, but I don't know that this is a person that I would want to be really super close to, like have them in my inner circle, because they are probably uh more than i would want to deal with on a daily basis uh, explain uh, there's so much concentrated in the eighth house you know but they could be very gregarious and and 
And I mean, the the Jupiter and the Mercury and the Mars and Taurus could also make them very um, handsome and 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 charming. You know, um, I just don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, this North Node in Capricorn uh, with Uranus in the fourth house, they're really fourth house. Somehow they're moving around a lot. There's a lot of movement with Uranus there. But what would, what, what is it that would make you hesitant to have all that eighth house? That's a lot. That's a lot of eighth house. And so just the intensity of this person? The intensity of it, yeah. Okay. That's very intense. Okay. And and when you have that heavy of an eighth house, I mean, although it can make you really, you know, really powerful, it can make you, uh, you know, there's a lot of changes can happen. There's a lot of death and rebirth with that. Uh, well, at this time, I think we are ready to uh, take a look at our uh, next guest. Okay. All right, I'm ready. This is a male. Okay. Uh, born on the 9th of January. Okay. 1913. Okay. Uh, at 9.35 p.m. Nine thirty-five p.m. Okay, and where? Uh, the United States. Uh huh. Yorba Linda, California. Okay. Oof. All right. Well, let's go through this one first. Okay, we'll go through the planets first. This is uh, Sun is at nineteen degrees Capricorn. Moon is at twenty degrees Aquarius. Mercury is at zero degrees Capricorn. Venus is at three degrees Pisces. Mars is at 29 degrees Sag. Jupiter is at one degree Capricorn. Saturn is at 27 degrees Taurus. Uranus is at two degrees Aquarius. Neptune is at 24 degrees Cancer. Pluto is at 28 degrees Gemini. North Node is at 6 degrees Aries, and Chiron is at 7 degrees Pisces. Okay, and this person has Virgo rising, okay, at 17 degrees. Then they don't have anything in that house. Midway through, it changes to Libra. So their second house cusp is Libra. Midway through, that changes to Scorpio. Nothing in that house. Third house is um, Scorpio, and nothing in that house, and midway through it changes to Sag. Fourth house is Sagittarius, and in that house, midway through it changes to Capricorn, but they have Mars at 29 degrees Sagittarius, which is also going to give them some of that Capricorn, right? Then they have Mercury at zero degrees Capricorn, which is going to give them some Sag, and Jupiter at one degree Capricorn. So this person has Mars conjunct Mercury conjunct Jupiter by degree, right? They are not all in Capricorn. We have Mars at 29 degrees Sag and then Mercury and Jupiter in the fourth house in Capricorn. But 
This is a very significant fourth house. This is very significant. Mars conjunct, Mercury conjunct Jupiter in the fourth house. Regarding this person's house, their country, their community, they're very involved. They should be very involved and have very uh, intense passion about it. Uh, their fifth house cusp is Capricorn. And they have sun at 19 degrees, Capricorn. And midway through, that changes to Aquarius, where in their fifth house, they have Uranus in Aquarius. Okay. And then, uh, sixth house, we have moon at 20 degrees Aquarius. Okay. And then we have uh, Venus in Pisces and Chiron at seven degrees Pisces. Interesting. Uh, could so I, Venus, uh huh. Does Uranus take a long time to uh, transit? Transit, yes. Okay, it's interesting. Mm -hmm. They're they're four years apart, and mm -hmm. person A, his Uranus is in Aquarius, mm -hmm. and this person, the Uranus, is, so this is a generational thing, possibly. Yes. Okay. Yes, and also, uh, this Neptune in Cancer. See, Neptune is also generational. Okay. Right. Okay. And their Pluto is in Gemini. So what's the date of birth on this one? Date of birth on this one is 1917. And they have Pluto at three degrees uh, Cancer, right? And it looks like that went uh, retrograde, right? Mm -hmm. Because this one is 1913. This one's 1917. No, that makes sense. Because it was at, when this person was born, it was at 28 degrees, right? And this mm -hmm. is only three degrees. Okay. So, um, yeah, I think Pluto might move two degrees a year, right? Mm. I think it moves two degrees a year. I'm not sure. I'll have to double check that. But yes, these are these take a while. Uh, Uranus and Neptune and Pluto take a while. Okay. So, looking at this person's chart, uh, they have Sun at 19 degrees Capricorn and Uranus at um, two degrees Aquarius in the fifth house, which would make them unusual in their, um, I mean, if they were in show business, they would be very unique, different, right? Uh, different take on this, but have a, a handle on it. Like, like that Uranus could make them weird, <laughs> like very different, uh, not common in show business if they're in show business. And, but, but also be able to, that sun and Capricorn in the fifth house somehow have a really good handle. And you're the saying that uh, is fifth house ruled by Leo? Mm -hmm. So it, when you're talking Leo. about it's all the Leo things, so entertainment, right? Uh, and, and, and leadership. Uh -huh. And we had before with uh, Dolly Madison, right? Her fifth house was in her her Libra was on her fifth house cusp, and so she wasn't inter an entertainer; she was entertaining, right? So it could be any of those things because Leos really do like to entertain. And uh, take great joy in dinner parties and, you know, it just, just, you know, entertaining. 
Uh, sixth house, we have Moon, Venus, and Chiron in the sixth house, which is interesting because the other person has Chiron in the sixth house as well. And this person has Chiron at seven degrees Pisces, and this person has Chiron at 29 degrees Pisces in the sixth house. So there's some... I mean, if you're looking at these two people, if these two people are interacting with each other, somehow they they do benefit each other in work, all right, so in creative work. Um, Mercury in at zero degrees Capricorn. No, wait, I'm looking at Venus. Venus at three degrees Pisces conjunct Chiron. Venus conjunct Chiron. In the sixth house, it's something about work and loving work, but also somehow healing with your work. You are able to heal with your work. Something creative in that place. Moon in Aquarius. Moon in Aquarius is going to have them be uh, not comfortable with their emotions. Huh. Like Moon in Capricorn just sees emotions as illogical, okay? It isn't that they don't have them. It's just that they're trying to control them. Moon in Aquarius is going to make them weird-ish with their emotions. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean that it is unique and different with their emotions. Their mother would have also been very unique or should have been very unique. This person has North Node in Aries. Right? North node. Where's my north? Yeah, north node in Aries. In the seventh house. These two people are just off by a few degrees mm -hmm. in their rising signs and their seventh house cusps and stuff. So it's very interesting. One follows the other. And um, this north node in Aries in the seventh house. Anytime you have north node in the seventh house, this is a person that has come to work on relationships. That is their job. That is what they are supposed to do. Whether they do it or not is up to them, but their direction is somehow to work on personal relationships, personal interaction. Is that partnerships included with that? Yes, absolutely. Partnerships included. And North Node and Aries, Aries are very passionate people. They're I mean, I would even say that they're so passionate that their emotions are just honest, like raw, you know, they're very raw in their, in the way they express themselves. They can be very raw, which can put people off, you know, but North Node, I mean, this person would have been very driven in personal relationships, partnerships, one-on-one -on -one relationships, Okay. And this person has nothing in the eighth house except that they have their eighth house cusp is Aries, and then their ninth house is Taurus, and that is they have Saturn and Taurus in the ninth house. So lessons with Sagittarian things, lessons with Jupiter things, lessons with travel, lessons with philosophies, dogma, higher education, that kind of thing. Um, Midhaven is in at 16 degrees Gemini. Hmm. And their Pluto 
is at 28 degrees Gemini in the 10th house. So power with career. Uh, funny. Could be funny. <laughs> this person could be funny. Uh, weird funny. Uh, <laughs> um, and then uh, 11th house cusp is Cancer. And they have Neptune there at 24 degrees in the 11th house. So somehow... Their comedy is tricking people. Uh, they're, they're, they're dealings with people in groups uh, is veiled. Like they're always in character. Or no one really knows who they are. They're capable of really pulling down the veil and 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 being being weird um and that is the being weird what they're trying to hide or is it because of the veil they appear to be weird it could be any and all of the above i mean neptune is the veil right so neptune is the costume neptune is the character neptune is the secret Neptune is, you know, all of these, the illusion, it's all the illusion. They have it in the 11th house. So they're completely able to pull the veil down and, and perform this illusion for groups of people. Right. Mm-hmm. And because they have this um, Midhaven and Gemini is why I'm saying they're probably funny because Gemini's tend to be funny. And um, then Pluto, you know, in the 10th house, that's very powerful in the career, but also can be, Death and rebirth in the career, but it could be a powerful career. Um, if this person is in show business, they are definitely unique, but they do have the, a handle on this. They they should be able to understand their value and their worth, in Cap- and it's in Capricorn, right? So they have they have Mercury and Jupiter and Sun all in Capricorn, not conjunct by degree, but conjunct by sign and then they have mars and sagittarius which is also no fear of you know just putting it out there you know uh am i close am i am i that's i mean you're yeah this is all right on but it's um interesting because those two things kind of seem to conflict with each other that there's no fear of being out there as long as he is uh, having this heavy veil and he's putting out, there's no fear of the character that he's created going out there. No, this is fourth house. So the community, the, the house, the, it's like, so it's, those are two, they're unconnected. So it's like, there's no fear of standing up for a community. Well, that's true. But I mean, when we did, um, um, ba 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 ba, all that jazz. Fosse. Fosse. When we did Fosse, you know, fourth house was the house, you know. So I don't know who we're dealing with, but once we, once I know who we're dealing with, I might be able to get a better idea. But um, the other guy is very uh, kind of. I want to almost say like kind of smug, like kind of. <laughs> I don't know. You know, like like kind of cool, right, and pretty. But also sexy, right? And this one is got like full on Virgo rising, which makes him 
you know, having Virgo rising makes you appear more um, mercurial, you know, maybe uh, even, um, I don't know, organized or, or fixed, like, 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 uh, I don't know how to describe it, but it changes in the middle. So in the middle of the first house, it goes from Virgo to Libra. So they have this where the other guy is more like, hey, how you doing? You know, this guy's more like, hi, I'm here today because I'm going to do ABC, <laughs> uh-huh. You know right. what I mean? Yes. And then and then you realize it's like, oh, wait, he's pretty. Right. So you, you don't catch <laughs> the pretty uh-huh. at the beginning because uh-huh. the beginning is kind of like almost kind of like nerdy. And then it's like, wait a minute. He's kind of pretty. But the other guy's like, hey, baby. Uh-huh. Uh, can I buy you a drink? Uh-huh. You know, that kind of thing, but not in the Gemini way. Because the Gemini <laughs> way is, you know, I love you, Geminis. I, I I have three planets in Gemini, so please don't get me wrong. But bad men Geminis are bad men Geminis. I can't describe it any other way. I don't know. I mean, you know it's coming with Scorpio, but you don't know it's coming with the Gemini ones. They're very tricky. So keep that in mind. Do you have questions? Am I track with this or yes yes you're you're on track with both of these guys very much so um what profession do you think this uh gentleman would go into well i would like to think that both of these people are in show business but i like to think everyone i i yes yeah the the whole world is a stage for you (laughs) so you know i mean but this person does have north node in the seventh house so this person should this person the second one. Yeah, we'll right? say, so the first one we're calling person A, this one is mm-hmm. person B. Okay, so person B has North Node in the seventh house. So person B is the one struggling with the partnership, okay? Struggling, in general, people who have North Node in the seventh house are either driven to do this. Like, this is, I don't know why, but I have to be partners. I don't know why. Or... They're completely trying to avoid it because when you're wherever your north node is, is kind of the opposite of what you've done before karmically. If you believe in past lives, north node is going to be the thing that is uncomfortable. It's going to be the thing you're not comfortable with, um, and you're either going to take to it like a duck to water, or you're going to try to fight it and swim upstream. You know, so I won't know until I know more about whoever this is. Okay. Uh so your best uh guess out there for a profession naturally he should be inclined to some sort of aspect of show business. Is there any other guesses well, as to what kind of <laughs> profession he would go into? Well, I think honestly with this with this Uranus in the 5th house in Aquarius, I think he's a weird comedian. A weird comedian. Okay. Yes. <laughs> maybe i don't know that's just what i want to say that's what i think okay but i don't know okay i mean um what can you tell me of their parents this person, person b? b okay so person b has son in the fifth house in capricorn okay so with son in capricorn um I would think that the father, hopefully, would be a good father, right? Because Capricorn is 
ruled by Saturn. Saturn is the father. Saturn is, you know, the teacher. So best case scenario, this person had a good father, right? Maybe someone in show business. I don't know. Or in some form of leadership or something like that, right? But worst case scenario is that this person had an alcoholic for a father, mm. you know? Which is possible because Capricorns are well known for being alcoholics. And the mother? The mother, he has moon in Aquarius. The mother could be very unusual. The mother, also the other side of that, the mother could be very humanitarian. I mean, this moon in Aquarius, literally, right? When you're dealing with the humanitarian, the good best case scenario of Aquarius is that they're going to be doing something humanitarian. Now, if this person is doing something humanitarian about health, right? This The mother could have been a humanitarian. Uh, I, You know, she could have been in the medical industry, uh, she could have been um, involved in charities or other humanitarian things. Other side of that is she could have been a very totalitarian, odd, you know, interesting mother who was more uh, interested maybe in uh, her humanitarian pursuits than uh, being a mother or also maybe just being a really super unique mother. All of these different, you know, Uranus things because Uranus rules Aquarius and this person has moon in, in Aquarius. Um, what role does uh, loyalty play in this person's life? Well, they have North Node in the seventh house. So technically, they should be extremely loyal. They should be, if they are following North Node, right? But they do have North Node in Aries in the seventh house. So North Node in Aries means maybe they could be combative with their partner. Maybe they could fight their partner. Maybe they could fight for their partner. Maybe they collaborate with their partner about strategic things. Um, loyalty. I mean, normally I look at, <laughs> I honestly am more interested in like the year of, you know, like the, the Asian, um, new year that they're born for loyalty, but, um, I think. They have Mars at 29 degrees or uh, 29 degrees Sag. But they've got a lot of Capricorn and Capricorns can go either way. Capricorns are in the business of the business. So it depends. Like, are we talking about a friendship? Are we talking about a business? Where are, where is this, you know, where do their loyalties lie? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because they've got this Capricorn going on, which could make them more about me. You know, when it comes down to it, to brass tacks, this is about me and how I survive and what I get. You know what I mean? That's kind of Capricorn. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I mean, if you want somebody to be really good in a business sense and, and, and have your best interest in mind, then you might want a Capricorn in that position, you know? 
they're very good with that. And then this North Node in Aries in the seventh house, they could be combative, but uh, I don't think that's what they're supposed to do. But maybe North Node in Aries in the seventh house means you fight with your partners, but I don't think so. It has something to do with partners. This The North Node in the seventh house, because this other person, person A, has North Node in the third house, which is more like, you know, communication and siblings and stuff like that. I don't even know if I'm answering your question. Um, I think you're answering it a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, what is uh, this person's relationship with controlled substances? Well, uh, okay, for that I go to Neptune, right? And they have Neptune and Cancer in the 11th house. Uh, I mean, Neptune is a very interesting planet for controlled substances. They have also Chiron conjunct Venus in the sixth house, which where the other one had the Neptune in the tenth house, right? Uh, where, like, the career could push them into controlled substances. This one has it where the work is, right? Uh -huh. So if these two people are involved with alcoholism or drug abuse or even even uh, prescribed med whatever, you know, whatever is mind-altering, um, it has to do, I would say, with their work and their career. Okay. Maybe. I mean, this guy has you know zero degrees mercury one degree jupiter in the fourth house in capricorn and sun at 19 degrees in the fifth house in capricorn and then they've got venus conjunct um chiron in the sixth house in pisces so there's opportunity here for you know addiction okay is this a depressed person? Mm, they could have issues. We're talking about person B, right? Yes. Okay. They could have this moon in Aquarius makes it very hard to deal with here, like Earth. You know what I mean? Their emotions are not set up for a lot of the things that happen on Earth. They're not set up for the way that people treat each other here if that makes any sense. They are more otherworldly. And Aquarians in general don't understand why some humans would do what other, you know, what they do to other people. So it just doesn't, it does not compute for them. So this person could have issues with depression, um, with having moon in Aquarius, you know, Neptune in Cancer in the 11th house. That can also emotions you know uh not having a good vision or a good handle on the emotional side you know mm -hmm. uh, how would this person do with finances i would think that this person would do fairly well with finances i mean they have sun conjunct jupiter conjunct mercury in capricorn by sign they have jupiter conjunct mercury in Capricorn, in the fourth house, I would imagine that they would have a nice home, a nice, you know, um, 
locate, you know, where they live. They're, you know, they're, they would live in a nice neighborhood or whatever. Um, they're, they don't have anything in their eighth house, but they do have Aries on their eighth house cusp. Second house is Libra, which would, you know, and it changes halfway through to Scorpio. They don't have anything in their second house either. So I'm looking at the other signs, but this person has sun in Capricorn, right? So unless they are just lost, I would imagine that they had a pretty good handle on their finances. Hmm. Okay. Um, if this person were put into a military situation, uh, where would you find them? Well, they have Aries on the eighth house. And they have Mars in Sag at 29 degrees. Mars in Sag is going to be more of a, you know, that person would be more likely to ride right to it. But it is at 29 degrees, which means they're on the cusp of Capricorn, which is going to make them think more. You know what I mean? Um, so... If they were in the military, I would think this person would be less likely to move forward the way the other person would move forward. This person would move differently. This person would think about it more. The other person would think about it, but the other person would be more for the long haul because they have Mars and Taurus. This person has Mars and Sag at 29 degrees, which gives them that Capricorn flair. So they could be less likely to ride, you know, ride in a fierce fury towards something than someone who has like Mars at like 14 degrees Sag, where they're just going to, they hear about it, they get on the horse, they ride. They'll think about it on the way, you know? Okay. Which is closer to what person A would do? Person, no, person, no, person A has Mars in Taurus, which is more like, they get on the path, they just keep going. You know, like people are shooting rockets at them and somehow they just keep moving forward, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, this person is going to, before, you know, like they have a horse standing ready, but they're going to have a plan, right? They're going to have more of a plan. And person A doesn't have a plan? Person A has a plan, it's just a different way. Capricorns and Taurus think differently. A Taurus has decided, I'm going to that mountain. I'm going to that mountain. And they start walking towards the mountain. And if somebody says, hey, you know, you could take an airplane or you could get on the ship or you can, you know, come over to my house for dinner. They're like, sorry, I'm going to that mountain. That's what they're going to do. Do you know what I mean? A Sagittarian is going to say, okay, well, uh, let's say a Sagittarian is a white knight. Okay. Best case scenario for a Sagittarius, right? And this white knight is, there's a damsel in distress on the mountain. Okay. The Taurus is going to be walking towards the mountain, walking, 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 walking. Okay. Moving towards the mountain. The Sagittarius is going to jump on his horse, make sure he's got a sword and just ride to the mountain. That's going to be like on fire riding really fast, okay? But this person has 
Mars at 29 degrees Sag, which puts Capricorn in the mix. Okay. The Capricorn, <laughs> if this person had Mars at like 10 degrees Capricorn, then this is what would happen. Okay. The person would be like, okay, there's a damsel in distress on the mountain. Let me calculate how many miles it is to the mountain. And then let me look at my cache of weapons and let me write down everything. Now that's not the same as the, as the Virgo because the Virgo would have all of the, all of the figures already done, right? They're really speedy fast, but the Capricorn would figure it all out before he got on the horse. It's, this makes any sense. So no one is the Sagittarius white knight. We're not talking about any of them right now. This person, person a, has the potential to be Sagittarius white knight, but he's got, he's, he's too close to the cusp of Capricorn to, to be that out of control. How would this person do in a debate? Um, I would think that this person in a debate, this is a person who would have planned things out, made plans. Okay. Uh, a lot of, thought. And also, when you have Mercury and Capricorn, you're not quick with your words. Like, your words don't come easily. They're a little more awkward. You're a little less... You're, you're, you're much better when you're thinking about it than when it comes out of your mouth, if that makes any sense. Okay? Um, I, I don't think this person would do as well as the other person in the debate. Okay. Like, if person A would do way better in a debate than this person B. But this person does have Jupiter in Capricorn conjunct Mercury. So there could be some luck. I mean, I don't know how. But somehow this person could have luck associated with their communication. I'm so confused. I have no idea what we're doing. Are we dealing with show? I don't know if we're dealing with show business people or if we're dealing with politicians. Because this could go either way. Mm-hmm. Um, person B, uh, mm -hmm. what is their relationship with deceit? Well, um, Jupiter rules philosophy and dogma, and this person has Jupiter and Capricorn at one degree. So, um, and also has Mercury and Capricorn. So this person could be deceitful if it was necessary. They wouldn't be absolutely, uh, they wouldn't absolutely avoid it. But at the same time, this person has Mercury at zero degrees and Jupiter at one degree Capricorn with Mars at 29 degrees. So we have 29, zero, one. That's how close those things are in the fourth house. They are one degree apart. There's a separation of one degree. So Mars you could basically say Mars conjunct Mercury conjunct Jupiter in Sag Capricorn because they're all on the cusp of Sag and Capricorn. So on the one hand, Sagittarians are known for being pretty law-abiding for as, as, as wild as they can be, you know. And then Capricorns are known for gray areas. So... 
I mean, I could tell you more if I knew who they were, but I don't, I don't, right now I don't know if we're dealing with politicians or if we're dealing with comedians and people in show business. Okay. I will say that this person B has, you know, Pluto in Gemini in the 10th house, which is different than person A who has Pluto in Cancer in the ninth house. All right. Pluto in Gemini in the 10th house gives this person... Person B. A power... Yes, person B. Uh, I would assume that this person has a, a, a more, um, like, somehow powerful way in their career, which is communication. Because their Midhaven is 16 degrees Gemini, and their Pluto is at 28 degrees Gemini. So there's some extra oomph with this Sag Capricorn per- person that has to do with their career in communication, mm-hmm. using that ability to communicate, which offsets the Mercury in Capricorn, you know, but it, it it's a very interesting, very interesting. I, I, I'm very looking forward to new to knowing who they are, uh-huh. and I'll have a better idea of what's going on. Uh-huh. Um, so at this time, I would like to take a look, or, or at this time, let's see if you have uh, any further thoughts or feelings about a uh, person B. Um, I'm just looking over the chart, looking at the Neptune and Cancer. Uh, this person also has their their house changes the eleventh house cusp is cancer, but it changes to Leo midway through, which puts Leo in their eleventh and twelfth house because it's halfway for age. Um, person B has uh, more of a splash chart than person A, which would make person B unique, different. Well, that Uranus in the fifth house, but I, I'm just basically thinking out loud because I, I really, I feel like <laughs> this is either <laughs> Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis or <laughs> it's Kennedy and Nixon. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> uh, so um, at this time, I would like to see the. Um, how how these charts uh, would look on uh, on a specific day, uh, so we'll okay. we'll look at the transits on a specific day for both of these people. Uh, person A is the May twenty ninth one. Correct. Right? Okay. All right. So let's go to the transits. What day are you looking for? Uh, November eighth, nineteen sixty. All right. So, well. On November 8th, 1960, Neptune, Mercury, and the Sun were all transiting person A's first house. All right. Um, Mercury, no, Venus was transit, just coming into transit the third house. Jupiter was coming into transit the third house. And Saturn. Is coming into transit the third house. I want to see something beneficial somehow for siblings and lessons and something like that is happening. 
um, unusual, unknown communications uh, regarding the way people see this person. Uh, veiled communications with the man and how they see um, this person. Not everything is revealed with how this person is being seen. That's the transit, anyway. Um, then we have Chiron in the fifth house. Chiron in Aquarius. Interesting. In the fifth house. Um, something humanitarian with uh, fifth house leadership. The leader. Um, okay. Then we have Mars. Trans Mars and the Moon transiting the ninth house. Philosophies, travel, uh, could be trouble with travel and females. Uh, Uranus is in the tenth house. Unexpected things with groups of people. Uranus is at 25 degrees Leo, and it's in the 10th house, which is career. No? Yes? Let me check. It's right on the cusp. See that? Mm -hmm. Where it changes? But it is still in the 10th house. So career, unexpected situation with career, Uranus. At 25 degrees Leo in the 10th house. Um, leadership. The leader. Something about the leader. Um, and then North Node and Pluto in the 11th house. Death and rebirth in groups of people. Uh, Pluto was in Virgo. Does any of that make any sense? Yep. Okay. All right. Do you want me to do the other one? Yeah, let's take a look at the uh, person B and the transits on November eighth, nineteen sixty. I think we've 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 zoomed past Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis. Um, okay, so in this situation, okay, well we have North Node, Pluto, and Uranus transiting person B's twelfth house, which is karma. Which is death and rebirth, um, direction, and unexpected things like unexpected, unexpected karma, and it's in Uranus. It's at you know twenty five degrees Leo. So then we have Neptune and Mercury and the Sun all riding together, right? But in person B, Neptune is in the second house, which is finances and um you know uh think you know belongings things like that money and then uh mercury and the sun mercury's at 14 degrees scorpio and the sun is at 15 degrees 
Scorpio. So we have Neptune, Mercury, and the Sun all conjunct in Scorpio during this time period in general, right? Mm -hmm. Transits. So Neptune at nine degrees Scorpio, Mercury at 14 degrees Scorpio, and the Sun at 15 degrees Scorpio all conjunct. So whatever's happening in the world at this time, uh, it is veiled because it's all in Scorpio and nobody knows exactly what's going on, okay, in general in the world, okay? So in this particular situation, we have a second, third house situation with these planets in Scorpio. Then we have Mercury and, I mean, Venus and Jupiter transiting this person's natal Jupiter. Is this person having a Jupiter return? Jupiter at two degrees, Capricorn. And this person's natal Jupiter is at one degree, Capricorn. Well, I would say this was a good day for this guy. I don't know. Because, I mean, he's got transiting Jupiter conjunct his natal Jupiter in Capricorn. So something... Good should have happened to this guy at home, in his community, in his country, in his, you know, his location. Um, with Mercury transiting Mercury at 14 degrees Scorpio. Hmm. No, I'm looking, I'm gonna look at Venus. Okay, so transiting Venus at 21 degrees Sagittarius almost conjunct this person's natal Mars. Very interesting. The fourth house changing his house. He's changing. Something is changing his house. As in his physical house? It could be. It's fourth house. I mean, he could move houses, you know? For the better, it's Jupiter, right? And then Saturn was at 14 degrees Capricorn, coming up and conjuncting his moon, his sun in the fifth house, which is leadership, lessons with leadership. Uh, because it's Leo, right? Uh, very interesting. And then Chiron, transiting Chiron, in the sixth house of work, and Chiron is at 27 degrees Aquarius, which is humanitarianism, totalitarianism, you know, however you want to look at it. Unique. And then we have Mars and Moon. Moon definitely transiting the 10th house, but let me check this Mars. Transiting Mars was at 17 degrees Cancer. And uh, that is in this person's 10th house. So career, direction, you know, passion, Mars and Cancer. Somehow I want to say that women are involved with this somehow in the career. So what about the career? 
um, the, 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 when Mars is in your 10th house, when Mars is transiting your 10th house, okay, and this is, you know, 10th house where it changes, see how it changes from Gemini to Cancer here? Uh, this person would have uh, activity in their career, right? It would be moving forward. It should be moving forward, right, in their career. But somehow there's woman involved because it's moon, see? And this is, I mean, uh, cancer is ruled by the moon, so. Uh, so, uh, between uh, person A and person B, if they were in a competition on this day, who do you think would win? This is not about these two people being in competition. As much as it is about what they are supposed to experience, if that makes any sense. Like, these two people are experiencing what their transits are showing, okay? Um, November 8th, I'm going to say, where's my thing? Okay, here's person A. Person A has a lot going on in the first house, okay? Which is um, Neptune and Mercury and Sun all in Scorpio in the first house, okay? Which would give this person a communicative advantage and a... Um, charm about them. Uh, person B has nothing transiting their first house. They have Neptune transiting their second house, which is, you know, um, belongings and maybe some communication, but this is coming into third house, which is uh, also communication. But I say communication because it's uh, Mercury and Scorpio. Um, I don't know. I mean, they both seem to have significant situation happening. But this guy, person B, their um, transits are going through the 12th house, which is karmic. You know, Pluto and Uranus and North Node transiting the 12th house is karmic. It's some kind of karma they're working out or receiving or whatever. But Mars in the 10th house and Moon in the 10th house, transiting in the 10th house, could be good for career. Uh, this person, what they have in their 10th house? They have Mars and Moon transiting their 9th house, which is more philosophy. And Uranus in their 10th house in Leo, which is leadership. I don't, I have no idea what I'm doing. Chandler, help. <laughs> My brain is being fried. They have Pluto and North Node in transiting their 11th house, which is groups of people. It could be powerful. Power with groups of people. Death and rebirth with groups of people. Direction with groups of people. Also Uranus, unexpected maybe. Unexpected leadership. Because it's in Leo. I don't know if we're talking about show business people or if we're talking about politicians. Uh, 
Is there anything else that you want to say about this day, about these people, about anything that we've covered so far? I uh, prefer to reserve my further <laughs> Are you pleading the fifth? <laughs> I prefer to hold everything off until I know if I'm dealing with people like Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis or like Kennedy and Nixon. Because <laughs> I have no idea what I'm dealing with. Okay. It could go either way. I could, I don't know. Okay. Okay. Uh, then at this time, I think uh, we are ready for uh, the summary of uh, what we've uh, done here. Okay. Uh, so, uh, however many uh, minutes ago it was, when we first looked <laughs> at person A, the very first thing you said was very handsome, uh, yes. easy on the eyes. Yes. Uh, business executive, he's in charge of something. Uh, writing, he's attracted to writing, communication, and uh, siblings have a connection in uh, his purpose in life. Mm -hmm. uh, he might move a lot. Uh, he might have an unusual home. Uh, mm -hmm. Person A has a creativity uh, with show business or leadership. Mm -hmm. uh, he could heal things at work, a creative healing. Mm -hmm. uh, there are intense connections to legacy, occult, power, taboo, uh, unstoppable in his direction, mm -hmm. very gregarious, chatty, charming. There's mm -hmm. an intense philosophy about him. Person A is intuitive, powerful mm -hmm. emotions, uh, mm -hmm. could have a powerful mother. Uh, he could teach magic. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there is uh, a work ethic, uh, research, uh, organized, categorize emotions with groups of people uh, mm -hmm. uh, through his charm. Mm -hmm. uh, he could be an orator, a good orator. Uh, he has relations uh, with emotions to group. He relates emotions to groups of people. Mm -hmm. uh, he could be a powerful politician. Mm -hmm. uh, he could cloak himself uh, from the public. Uh, yes. Person A is, uh, has an incredible, powerful legacy. Mm -hmm. There are lessons with illusion. Very smart. Uh, communicate. Uh, he could uh, uh, communicate with people. He, could, he would be able to get his way. Um, his father was very powerful and gregarious. His mother was organized, uh, could be a nurse, would be meticulous, uh, not a gushing mother. Mm -hmm. uh, person A is in business with his siblings. Uh, Fair-minded, fair handsome, could be a narcissist. Um, precise speech. Uh, he could take a while to reach a point. Uh, he is likable. Uh, there could be a roguish or not trustworthiness about him. Uh, knows what to do with his handsomeness. Uh, powerful. Uh, he, uh, th there is inherited power and legacy. There is a family legacy. Uh, he could be too desired for monogamy. Uh, there in the career, uh, the career could have made him an alcoholic. Uh, control, uh, he could control his addictions. Uh, there is a possibility of addictions connected with the career. His career is uh, involving communicating and writing. 
In a military situation, he would be a commander. Uh, he uh, would not be reactive. He would be more um, considerate, um, but always moving towards a goal. Not a coward. Uh, he could be born into money. Uh, but uh, money is not the biggest concern in his life. Uh, but he still would like nice things. He could be a powerful scholar. Um, or there could be a death and rebirth involved with his education. Uh, he should like the water. Uh, he is handsome and sexually attractive. He could work with water. Uh, the water could be a problem, uh, but either way, there's a power involving water. Uh, you would have to be stupid to physically fight this man. Uh, he uh, he it could be conflicted towards a, a violent or diplomatic solution to a problem. He could have a fiery temper. Uh, he could have frequent illness and recovery. Uh, overall, though, he would appear to be healthy. Uh, you would not want to debate this man. He would get his point across. Uh, he would be an interesting person to know, but uh, person A uh, would, you, you, uh, at least uh, my mom would not want to have him in uh, her inner circle. Uh, there's too much going on. There is an intensity. Uh, there is uh, lots of changes with person A. Uh, person A is smug, cool, pretty, and sexy. Mm -hmm. I think so. Uh, so, uh, let's, I, I'm going to just keep going straight forward into person B. Okay. So person B, the first thing you said was he is very involved. Uh, there is a, an intense connection to community and country. Person mm -hmm. B is unusual, unique, mm -hmm. different, mm -hmm. not common, weird. Mm -hmm. Um, he is connected with entertainment and leadership. Could be either. I mean, either, either one. Either because one. it's fifth. It's fifth house, so it could be leadership, unique leadership, uh, entertainment things that have to do with you know fifth house. Uh, so, in connection with person A, uh, person A, B, both A and B, they can benefit each other in a creative working environment. Uh, person mm -hmm. B loves work and and can mm -hmm. heal with work. Mm -hmm. uh, he is not comfortable with emotions, uh, weird mm -hmm. with emotions. Uh, mother was unique. Um, he came, His one of his directions, purpose in life is to work with relationships and partnerships. Uh, he could have raw passions and emotions. Uh, there are lessons with travel, uh, philosophy, and dogma. There's mm -hmm. a power with the career. Uh, could be weirdly funny. Uh, comedy is connected to tricking people, to putting a veil over himself. He is always in character. He is portraying someone to people. Um, he is mm -hmm. uh, could be weird, could be secret. Mm -hmm. uh, he uh, performs illusions for groups of people. Uh, un he understands his value and worth and can handle his uniqueness. He could appear to be mercurial, uh, but very organized, very fixed. 
the first impression people would have of this person is that he is organized, and then later on they might uh, see a, a likability or an attractiveness mm-hmm. to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would be very good at show business, uh, struggle, and, and dealing with the business side of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there could be a struggling with partnerships. Uh, he uh, either must be with a partner or he would struggle to avoid partnerships. Uh, he could be a very weird comedian. Um, his father uh, could be a very good father, uh, possibly a leader or involved in show business, but his father also could be an alcoholic. Uh, there is an unusual humanitarianism connected with the mother. She could be uh, very odd, um, or she could be very charitable, or more interested in charity and humanitarian things than her uh, pursuits as a mother. Um, he would be extremely loyal. A uh, person be um, could be confrontive with the partner. There could be fighting with uh, the partner, uh, but also could collaborate with a partner about strategies. Uh, he could be uh, very much under self-control. Uh, if there is any sort of addiction, it is connected to the career. Uh, he could be uh, he he finds it hard to deal with uh, human cruelty. Uh, there is an otherworldliness about him. He ha- finds it hard to relate to uh, to humanity. Uh, he could struggle with depression because of this. Uh, he could do well with finances. Uh, person B is uh, more involved with uh, strategy um, than than reactionary in a military situation. Uh, He uh, would be involved in planning and research. Uh, He would not be spontaneous. Uh, He might not be as good in a debate against person A, uh, because he needs to have all of his remarks more planned out. Uh, But he could still have uh, luck, uh, very great fortune with communication. Uh, He would be deceitful if he saw that it was necessary. It wouldn't necessarily be his go-to impetus in life, but he would engage in deceit if he thought it was necessary. Um, And there are powerful communications in the career. Uh, Any sort of communications he has, there's there's an extra oomph uh, involved with them. Uh, We then looked at the two of these people. Uh, Can I add something to this right here? Yeah. Because I don't know who we're talking about for sure. I can only guess right now who we're talking about. But having this Pluto in Gemini in the 10th house can also give you secret communication because it's Pluto, right? Mm -hmm. So there could be secret communication. And depending on who this person is, uh, this North Node in Aries definitely could be a strategic uh, planning regarding, you know, Martian things, uh, war, um, uh, also, uh, uh, partners, like becoming allies, that kind of thing, I guess, if we're going that political, political direction. Okay. Uh, so we then looked at, uh, what these two, uh, were going through on November 8th of 1960. Uh, So for person A, uh, something beneficial for siblings happens today or is Mm -hmm. happening in this general time period. Mm -hmm. Uh, There is unusual communication about how people see him. Not Mm -hmm. everything is revealed. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, there could be trouble with travel and with females. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are unexpected things uh, happening with groups of people. Uh, mm-hmm. Unexpected things with the career. And something mm-hmm. about leadership happens to him on this day. Mm-hmm. With person B uh, on November 8th, 1960, uh, karma is the big thing that pops out. Unexpected things, death and rebirth. Uh, mm-hmm. Nobody knows what's going on in the world. Uh, it could be a good day for him uh, in the home, in the community, in the country. Uh, mm-hmm. He could be changing his uh, physical location and his house uh, for mm-hmm. the better. Uh, there are lessons with leadership. There is an activity in career, uh, moving ahead. Uh, women are involved with this activity happening in the career, which is moving ahead. Mm-hmm. Um When asked if it was possible to determine in a confrontation on this day if A or B would win, um, you said that it would be very close. It was very hard to tell that Mm -hmm. on this day, person A has a communicative charm about them Mm -hmm. and that person B is working through karma. But Mm -hmm. overall, this day is or in this time period is good for his career. Mm -hmm. Uh, So uh, you... I have already uh, figured this out. Uh, This uh, is the charts of uh, John Fitzgerald Kennedy and Richard Milhouse Nixon. And the date that we looked at is the election of 1960. Okay. Okay. Well, I didn't know. I mean, honestly, this literally could have been charts for Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis. I'm not joking. So that's kind of, I mean, I don't know what, what, days dean martin and jerry lewis i don't know how old they were if they were even in the same you know vicinity but i'm just saying (laughs) it could have gone either way and i'm guessing (laughs) that uh you're saying that uh richard nixon would be the jerry lewis part here yes (laughs) so i don't know what to tell you (laughs) but okay looking at the chart of richard nixon okay he does have that uranus at two degrees aquarius in the fifth house right so for him now that i know who we're talking about i would assume that he has a more humanitarian aspect to him you know and um that he is looking at, I mean, because if you're dealing with fifth house, he has sun and Uranus in the fifth house, which is leadership, right? So for him, I mean, it, it is normal that he would have been a leader, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, uh, I thought that this would be a, a fun little experiment to see um what the uh, what what the stars could tell us about these two men? Uh, I do have some summaries about them, but uh, I just wanted to get up to the 1960 election. Uh, mm-hmm. These are individually uh, you could spend entire uh, lifetimes uh, devoted to the study of these two. So this will at no point be comprehensive. But I think that these two are. Um, absolutely remarkable that they came up against each other um, as uh, uh, competitors, as contenders for the presidency in 1960. I don't think we've really ever had an election where we had two men who were 
um, more qualified, more capable of the position, and possibly uh, more more related to each other, more friendly with each other. Um, mm. These two, as uh, I'll go through here, uh, were truly friends and truly respected each other, um, at least up to even this very day and, and a little bit afterwards. But um, the these two are, are very much connected to each other um, in their uh, seeking of leadership and seeking of benefiting the community and the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I will begin with uh, person A, who is uh, John Fitzgerald Kennedy. Uh, he was born on May 29, 1917 in Massachusetts. Uh, he was born to uh, Joe Kennedy and uh, Rose Fitzgerald Kennedy. Uh, he was the second of nine children in the Kennedy household. Uh, and all of this whole generation, they were grandchildren of Irish Catholic immigrants. So that's really uh, a testament to um, both of their families that uh, they arrived in, in Massachusetts with nothing and within a few generations uh, would become the most uh, powerful family in, in America. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, his maternal grandfather, his name was uh, uh, Fitz, or that's what everyone called him, uh, he was a two-term mayor of Boston. He's also a, a representative. Um, and then uh, his father, Joe Kennedy, uh, would become uh, the wealthiest Irish Catholic American uh, in, in the country. Um, and did that through yes. lots of uh, persecution, uh, especially in this early part of the 1900s. There was very strong um, persecution of Irish Americans, of Irish Catholics in particular. Um, there were lots of signs all over the Northeast and the major cities that you, we will not serve Irish people. We don't want Irish people working for us. And uh, Joe Kennedy, uh, he got into Harvard. He figured out how to uh, make a, a lot of money. He was very driven towards the goal of becoming uh, uh, financially successful. He did that through some uh, what we would consider pretty questionable ways today. Um, he was involved with uh, the mafia. And uh, once Prohibition went to effect, Joe Kennedy bought lots and lots of liquor on like the last couple of days that liquor was available to be sold. And then he ran speakeasies. Uh, through the 1920s. He also mm-hmm. um, did things which we would definitely consider illegal today involving the stock market. Uh, he was also involved in Hollywood. Um, but all of this made him a millionaire before the time he was 35 years old. Um, he yes. was very uh, successful. And uh, he thought that the the cherry on top of this would be he and his generation would make all of his, this money, and then his, one of his sons would become president of the United States. That is what would really show all of the people um, who were uh, persecuting Irish uh, uh, Americans, is that within five generations or four generations, we could make it to uh, be the leaders of the country. Uh, but he uh, fully thought that it would be his first son, Joe, uh, so Joe Kennedy Jr., and uh, really put all of the um, uh, struggle or all of the pressure on Joe uh, to become a president. Uh, so the second son, John, or what they called Jack, uh, he was actually a very sick child. Um, mm. Before the time he was three years old, he had had scarlet fever, rubella, whooping cough, measles, and the chicken pox. 
So this is John Kennedy had all these things in his childhood. Yes. Yes. Okay. So see where I said, okay, here's Chiron at 29 degrees in the sixth house. Uh-huh. Okay. So Chiron at 29 degrees, Pisces in the sixth house. Sixth house is Virgo, which is health. Uh-huh. Okay. And, and medicine. So that, that can be that. Uh, so in early, right? Early. Right. Yeah. But then changing that as you move forward, sixth house, he should have had some healing aspects about that as well. So, um, yeah, uh, uh, growing up, he, and it didn't just stop when he was three. It continued throughout really the rest of his entire life. But certainly wow. in his early um, childhood, um, he, he couldn't go to school. So he would <gasps> oftentimes just sit and his mother would give him books and books and books to read. And he was a voracious reader. Um, eventually he did become healthy enough to go to school, um, and he would go to one of the, uh, premier academies in the Northeast, a Choate Academy in, uh, Connecticut. Um, and, uh, again, all of the pressure was on his older brother, Joe, to be the success. So Jack mm-hmm. saw, um, his life as that. I don't have to worry about that. I can do whatever I want. Uh, so he was kind of a, an average student, a C student. Mm-hmm. Um, he was really a prankster. Um, he, uh, would, mm-hmm. uh, uh, organize all of these pranks of the firecrackers and the toilet seats. Um, at one mm-hmm. point, uh, he, he, uh, well, I, I a lot of times he, even at this time, was feeling the persecution of being an Irish Catholic American in the uh, traditionally Protestant academies. Um, and they would call him a mucker. Um, mm-hmm. a, a mucker is what they would, a derogatory term for the Irish people who would go into English estates and clean up all of the uh, horse uh, poop from the um, uh, stables. And they were called oh, muckers. And so mm-hmm. uh, they called Jack Kennedy a mucker. And he took it and he he made it his own term, and he made it as a, a a term of honor that he is a mucker. He's not like all these other pretentious people. Um, he in fact got a gold uh, necklace with a, a little trinket that had a shovel on it, and he wore that around oh. his neck. And he made being a mucker a a proud thing. And then he made all of his friends, and they wanted to become muckers. And so the muckers at the academy were up to all sorts of no good. Um, one of the things. They did was they took a huge pile of dung and they put it into uh, the gym and then they took pictures of everyone's face as they opened the door and saw this huge pile of dung in there. Oh my. And this uh, almost got him expelled from the academy. Uh, but uh, when they had the conference with Joe Kennedy, Joe Kennedy paid a very large sum of money and so Jack Kennedy got to stay in the academy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, eventually, uh, he would, uh, Jack Kennedy would end up going to Harvard. And at the same time, uh, Joe Kennedy, his father, uh, got a position in the Roosevelt administration, uh, as the ambassador to England. Uh, mm-hmm. and Joe Kennedy, uh, he really took the lessons of World War One as being that America should not be involved in everything that's going on in Europe, um, that we should be isolationists. We should just look at what we're doing and whatever happens in Europe, we'll let them figure it out themselves. And this was a pretty... A dangerous time to be having those thoughts as Hitler uh, was, uh, you know, 
running roughshod all over Europe and and taking mm-hmm. uh, the Sudetenland and eventually would uh, go to war uh, with all the continent. Um, but even as it went, as the escalating tensions went up, Joe um, Kennedy was a devout isolationist saying, I can make a deal with Hitler. I can uh, make it to where America's not involved in this and he, he'll just leave us alone. But mm-hmm. his son did not agree. Mm-hmm. Jack Kennedy saw what was happening in, in England with Chamberlain uh, just caving in to Hitler and saw that this was not the way, that Hitler was going to uh, do all the things that he eventually did and cause the death of so many people. And uh, he got into discussions and arguments with his father about um, his policies. And eventually he uh, wrote all of these out and it became his senior thesis, uh, which was then published into a book uh, called Why Britain Slept. And uh-huh. uh, that was his uh, – he was uh, uh, just around – less than 20 years old uh, or just over it when I, this uh, this book was published. And um, everyone saw that he did not necessarily have the same policies uh, as his dad. Eventually, Joe Kennedy would be fired uh, by Roosevelt because of his isolationist tendencies. Um, JFK uh, did not have to fight in uh, World War II. Uh, he, his family, first of all, his family could have paid for him not to go. And secondly, uh, he had so many health problems that uh, he didn't need to go. In mm-hmm. fact, what ended up happening is that his father paid the uh, naval officers to allow him to go into the Navy. Uh, hmm. And so uh, Jack Kennedy uh, enlisted uh, in the Navy and he was made a lieutenant uh, and he served in the Pacific Theater and he saw serious action. Uh, he mm-hmm. was made a, a commander of a patrol a torpedo boat. Uh, he mm-hmm. was uh, specifically in charge of PT Boat 109. On August 1st of 1943, uh, this uh, patrol boat was attacked by the Japanese and it was sunk. Um, and uh, Jack Kennedy... Uh, despite all of his health problems, he had actually suffered a back injury in school, uh, which uh, was further aggravated by his service. He was in excruciating pain, but he was mm. the best swimmer and he was the commander of the boat. And so he got into the water and swam for three hours uh, in the shark-infested Pacific waters to make sure that all of his men, all the survivors were accounted for. Uh, one man, uh, Patrick McMahon, he was so badly burned he could not swim for himself. So uh, Jack Kennedy actually got the strap that connected uh, McMahon to his life vest, put it into his teeth, and then drug mm. McMahon three miles to a deserted mm. island. Oh, my. Uh, so for this, he was given uh, a, a merits. He was a war hero. Um, mm-hmm. And when he came home, uh, there were lots of banquets in his honor for having done this. His mm-hmm. older brother, Joe, uh, saw uh, what his younger brother had done, and he was not having the, the same sort of opportunities uh, of valor in the war. Uh, so he actually um, uh, organized it for himself to become the pilot of a uh, experimental airplane that was um, – transporting explosives and uh, those explosives went off midair and Joe Kennedy Jr. died. Um, That meant that all of the pressures that were once put on Joe were now going to be put on Jack to make Mm -hmm. him president of the United States. Mm -hmm. Uh, So after the war in 1946, uh, John F. Kennedy ran uh, for Congress um, and he won. Uh, He had a very sizable uh, 
a war chest because of his father. Um, but people saw his uh, all his his um, ideas about foreign policy even back when he was a young kid at Harvard and saw his meritorious acts in the war and, and voted for him to be um, a representative. He would enter a Congress uh, the same year that Richard Nixon would enter into Congress. Um the in the in the House of Representatives, John F. Kennedy, uh, he was already looking to the future. He saw himself as a senator and then as president, so he didn't really uh, bother much with the business of legislating. There's no remarkable bills that he wrote. Um, he was sort of distracted. Um, he would uh, run for the Senate in 1952, and he would win. Um, and the very next year, in 1953, he would marry a young socialite named Jacqueline Bovier. Mm -hmm. um, then in 1956, uh, he was a senator and uh, there was a presidential election and he was trying to make it to where he would be the vice presidential candidate for Adelaide Stevenson. Uh, he would mm -hmm. actually give the nominating speech uh, for Adelaide Stevenson. Um, but uh, the Democratic Party at this time having to try and satisfy so many disparate uh, uh, factions of the party with having a northern Chicago liberal like Adelaide Stevenson in there wanted to satisfy the southern base and put a man from Tennessee as the vice presidential candidate. And Jack Kennedy was a little bit uh, discouraged after this, but uh, very quickly started to make plans for uh, the 1960 election. Mm -hmm. uh, so... Uh, at this time, I think I'm going to uh, start talking about uh, Richard Nixon and his rise to the 1960 election, and then we will uh, cover them together. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, Person B is, in fact, Richard Milhouse Nixon. Uh, <laughs> Nixon, uh, not Jerry Lewis, but Richard Nixon. <laughs> I don't know what to say. It could be. It could have been. Maybe. <laughs> uh, uh, was born January 9th, 1913. Uh, he was born to Hannah Milhouse and Frank Nixon. Uh, he uh, was born in a house that his father assembled from a Sears and Robot catalog in Yorba Linda, wow. California. Uh, he was the third of fifth children, all brothers, and uh, all but one of them were named after uh, English kings. Uh, so he was named after Richard the Lionheart. Um, Frank Nixon, uh, the father, he, uh, had, he was a failed citrus farmer and also sort of a failed, uh, uh, store owner, a convenience store owner, and, uh, was prone to alcoholism. Mm -hmm. Uh, eventually because of the failed businesses, the family would move to Whittier, California. And, uh, at just the age of seven years old, the youngest son, Arthur, uh, died of tuberculosis. Um, the Nixon household was uh, filled with uh, conversations and debates, and uh, Richard Nixon would say uh, that that was really the training ground for his future political career, was sitting around the dining room table and arguing through the issues of the day uh, with uh, the brothers and his mother and father. Um, the uh, He was uh, on the football team, but he was also very skinny and was most likely just put on the bench most of the time. Uh, but mm -hmm. he also joined the debate team in high school, and that's where he thrived. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Um, at the age of 15, uh, while he was in high school, uh, he was really uh, the one who was uh, supporting the whole family. So he would wake up at 4 a.m. to haul oh vegetables uh, from the markets in Los Angeles all the way down to his father's store. Then he would go to school. Then he would go to football practice and debate practice. He would have mm-hmm. homework and then uh, go to sleep and do it all over again. And he was uh, working so hard at this that he would become third in his class. Wow. Um, he uh, received a, a scholarship to go to Harvard, um, but the family could not afford to actually send him to go there. And so uh, he would uh, miss his chance and he would go to the local college, college in Whittier. Uh, while he was working to support the family and going through school, um, his uh, other, uh, his older brother, Harold, uh, would die from tuberculosis. Oh, no. Um, so uh, he was uh, going to school in Whittier. There was another uh, a very similar situation to Jack Kennedy. There were uh, several uh, fraternities and they looked down their nose at Nixon. Uh, he did not have the pedigree to join these fraternities. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he founded his own called the Orthogonian Society. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were also involved in some uh, in some pranking uh, going on in campus. Uh, Nixon would graduate uh, summa cum laude uh, from Whittier, Mm -hmm. and he was offered a scholarship, a full-ride scholarship to go to Duke Law School, uh, which he did. Uh, All of his classmates at Duke uh, remembered him as being a a pretty serious uh, young man, uh, very Mm -hmm. focused on his studies, uh, but that would pay off. He would graduate third in his class at Duke. Mm -hmm. Um, But after graduating with all of these great grades and proving how much of a hard worker he was, was all the prestigious law firms all around the country did not offer him a job because he did not have a pedigree behind him. Uh, He was just uh, from a poor working class family. So he returned to Whittier, California, helping to support the family. um, And uh, it was at a law practice there. Uh, While he was uh, working at his uh, law profession, he also started to get involved with the community theater. Uh, It was there that he met a young woman named uh, Thelma uh, Pat Ryan. Um, Mm -hmm. She was a young actress there. She was also a teacher. Um, And Richard Nixon was immediately smitten with this young woman, Uh, Mm. just head over heels for her and asked her on a date that right there, the first moment he saw her. And she said, no, I'm busy. (laughs) Uh, He then found out that she loved ice skating. And so uh, he started to learn how to ice skate and would skate for over, for months and months to try and get uh, a, an opportunity to meet her again. And wow. uh, eventually he taught himself how to ice skate and uh, bumped into her. And she still said no a couple of times. Um, <laughs> but, but eventually she did agree to go on a date. And on that very first date, he said, uh, I'm going to marry you. Ooh. And uh, she uh, didn't know what to think of that, uh, but uh, uh, made him wait another two years. Uh, and uh, then eventually in 1940, they did get married. Uh, eventually they left Whittier, went to Washington, D.C. Uh, Nixon wanted a career in the FBI. He wanted to be a G-man. Um, uh, wanted to work with J. Edgar Hoover um, and was accepted to the position, but the acceptance got lost in the mail. And so that was an <gasps> opportunity that was never given to him. Oh, no. 
Uh, so instead, he worked for the Office of Price Management, which was one of these uh, New Deal programs uh, come up with uh, by FDR, and Nixon absolutely hated it. Um, mm. He saw it as just uh, another uh, frivolous government program um, and eventually quit. And around this time is when uh, World War II started. Uh, Nixon also could have chosen not to have fought in the war. He was a devout Quaker, and mm-hmm. as a Quaker uh, was a conscientious objector. Um, the mm. Quakers do not believe in violence in any form. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, he, and it was actually a friction within the family when he decided that he was going to enter uh, the military, and he also chose to go into the Navy. Uh, mm-hmm. There, he was more involved in logistics and strategy. Uh, he was mm-hmm. uh, uh, working closely with uh, with quartermasters to get supplies and to get um, uh, rations and things to troops. Uh, he would also go into the Pacific Theater, but did not see any of the action that um, his... Uh, 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 other candidate uh, Jack Kennedy would see. Uh, He was involved in the uh, Combat Air Strategy Command, uh, which involved him going to islands in the Pacific and mostly sitting around um, writing love letters to Pat and gambling a lot. Uh, He was actually a very good poker player. Uh, But uh, he did such good work at getting the supplies where they need to go that he was given merits and and, uh, commendations for his uh, service. He also uh, left the service in 1946 and immediately ran for Congress in Southern California. Uh, there is a Democrat who had served several terms. His name was Jerry Voorhees, and people thought that he was uh, absolutely unbeatable. Um, but this young war hero um, of sorts, uh, Richard Nixon, um, was such a great speaker um, that they voted for him instead. This was also where Nixon started to get into uh, what people would say uh, unfair campaigning. Um, mm-hmm. So Nixon uh, painted Voorhees as a as a communist, and there was really mm-hmm. very little evidence outside of his progressive politics that Voorhees was a communist. But Nixon mm-hmm. labeled him as such, and everyone just went along with it. And uh, Voorhees was voted out, and Nixon was put in. Um, the 1946 election uh, put the Republicans in power in the House, and so uh, Nixon got onto several uh, different committees um, and uh, gained a lot of leadership experience here. He was instrumental in uh, being a, a, an observer of the Marshall Plan uh, of rebuilding Europe after uh, the destruction of World War II. He also served on the House on American Activities Committee. Uh, so anyone who is uh, familiar with um, the Red Scare of the 1940s and 50s, Nixon Nixon was a very young um, congressman and fierce anti-communist um, trying to root out all of the communists in uh, Hollywood and in uh, the Defense Department and all over. Mm. Now, not all of those people were communists. A lot of people were labeled and blackmailed and blackballed and had to move away from the United States for the rest of their lives and treated Mm -hmm. very unfairly because of this. But some Mm -hmm. of them were. Uh, One of those men was Alger Hiss. Um, Alger Hiss uh, was uh, high up in the Defense Department, and Mm -hmm. uh, he was uh, labeled as a communist by Whitaker Chambers, and nobody believed him. Nobody believed that someone who was so high up in the uh, department who um, had uh, former President Roosevelt's ear um, could possibly be a communist. Um, And it was actually a a thrilling thing if if Hollywood ever wanted to make a movie about an anti-communist. 
to to see the crusade and eventually it ended up in a pumpkin patch where some microfilm had been uh, stuffed into a hollowed out pumpkin and Nixon had found it and he got it out and he was searching through the microfilm and there's pictures of it all of him searching through this microfilm and it had the documents which did prove that Alger Hiss was a card carrying member of the Communist Party and uh, he was convicted of perjury. Uh, because of this, uh, Nixon went from a, a, a very low level, uh, very little known uh, congressman to one of the most uh, well-known Republicans in the country. Um, he uh, was elected to the Senate in 1950, uh, and uh, he ran against a woman named Helen Douglas, and he again uh, called her a flagrant communist, uh, said that she is pink all the way down to her underwear. Oh my! Uh, and printed out lots of pink sheets uh, with uh, all of her stats uh, on these sheets, and this is where Douglas actually uh, coined the term "tricky dick," uh, that mm. uh, he had uh, done this completely unfairly. Um, but uh, he uh, was so well known and uh, was such a fierce fighter and fierce anti-communist that he quickly rose the ranks of the Republican Party. And in 1952, uh, Dwight Eisenhower uh, picked him to be uh, the vice presidential candidate. Um it is uh, during this time that uh, an unfair article, uh, w- which was completely made up, was published about Richard Nixon and his finances, saying that he had been taking a graft, that he had been um, putting uh, funds into a slush fund um, mm-hmm. uh, for uh, his himself and his wife. And mm-hmm. uh, he uh, uh, was almost certainly going to be booted off of uh, the uh, ticket. And he went uh, and and uh, got um, an hour of television in front of all. Of, and this was such a new medium to uh, talk to the American public. But uh, he mm-hmm. got an hour of television to uh, uh, and he literally got his taxes out and his uh, spreadsheets out and went through it line by line to show them that they were actually in debt, uh, mm-hmm. that it was very embarrassing, really, the, to have done this, to um, mm-hmm. uh, have have poured out all the things that they owed to people and uh there are several lines that that make it out into the public f- from this at one point he says that uh, you know w- w- we are so poor uh, my my wife pat she does not have a mink coat but she has a nice conservative republican cloth coat and, oh no and i always tell pat that she'll look good in anything Oh. And uh, at then at the very end, he does say that we did receive a gift. That there is a um, a, a person from Texas uh, who heard that the uh, their little girls Trisha and Julie uh, wanted a dog, and uh, that he had sent uh, uh, them a, a little cocker spaniel. And the little oh. girls they they named him Checkers. And uh, no matter what happens, we're gonna keep him. <laughs> and uh, and that is the famous checker speech where Nixon mm-hmm. fundamentally changed uh, a politician's relationship to the American public uh, through this new medium of television. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was kept on the ticket. Uh, he was uh, made a, a vice president with Dwight Eisenhower. Uh, he uh, was again on the uh, ticket in 1956, which would have been interesting if Kennedy had been made uh, the vice presidential candidate on the Democrat side, because that would have been the time that they uh, faced off against each other. Um, but mm-hmm. that did not happen. And Nixon, uh, again, uh, was uh, successful. Um, and then as vice president, he was sort of the attack dog. So the media really did not 
get they did not like him at all uh, because Eisenhower was this uh, uh, statesman. He was the hero of World War II. Um, there was no way that you could attack this hero. There was no way that mm-hmm. you could attack Eisenhower. But you could attack Nixon. And so all of the ire that the media had for anything that the administration was doing uh, focused uh, red hot onto Nixon. And Nixon kind of relished it. He relished going mm-hmm. up against the media and pitting them as the enemies. Um, but uh, that really soured any relationship that he could have had going forward in his career. Mm-hmm. Um one of the major highlights of his career was in 1959, where as vice president, he went to Moscow, uh, where there was this uh, grand uh, uh, convention showing off all these different technologies of the world. And uh, there they had a display of the typical American kitchen, uh, which mm-hmm. was absolutely mind boggling to uh, these uh, uh poor people in in so in the Soviet Union to see mm-hmm. that this is what the average american has a a washer right. and a dryer and a refrigerator mm-hmm. and a stove and he goes up and and Nikita Khrushchev who is the premier of the Soviet Union says you are lying you are lying to the people to say that every american has these and and nixon said i i am not lying this is the mm-hmm. beauty of capitalism and freedom mm-hmm. is that we have these things you cannot your economy can never get up to what we have here and uh, mm-hmm. eventually uh, khrushchev says uh, your grandchildren will live in communism and uh, nixon uh, would go on to say that it is my sincerest hope that your grandchildren will live in freedom yes uh, so all of this made him uh, the, the presumptive nom- nominee in 1960, mm-hmm. that he would just mm-hmm. continue on uh, this meteoric rise uh, that he had had. Um, you know, everyone talks about how young John F. Kennedy was when he uh, was elected president. Uh, Nixon had done all of these things by the same time. By the time he was 43, he was already vice president and dealing with all mm-hmm. these different things. Um truly remarkable Mm -hmm. Uh, so uh, the the 1960 election pitted these Mm -hmm. two men against each other and at at first I just want to get into uh, a a little bit of their friendship which I think gets lost in the the story of the 60 election and the story of uh, you know so many people love Kennedy so many people get caught up in the Camelot in in the the movie star qualities of him and and then everyone looks at what Nixon would later go on to do um, when he did eventually become president and um, paint him as a villain and see it as as this election is the hero versus the villain. But that is Mm -hmm. not what people were seeing in 1960. In 1960, Mm -hmm. they were seeing two people evenly matched. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, uh, both of them had to overcome prejudice in their life. Um, Mm -hmm. So with Kennedy, it was that he was an Irish Catholic and he was looked Mm -hmm. down upon because of that. For Nixon, it was because uh, he did not have a pedigree, that he did not have these wealthy parents, that he was blue collar. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot now. Kennedy would often get out of things because his family did actually have money and did actually have status and were involved in all these things. Where Nixon never could claim that, uh, never right. got out of anything because his father could pay for him to get out of it. Um, at the same time, Kennedy uh, chose to go into harm's way when he did not have to. Uh, so mm-hmm. again, both very. Uh, uh, 
remarkable people, remarkable mm-hmm. Americans, and overcoming personal challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1946, they were both elected as freshman congressmen, uh, and that is where they first met each other. Uh, there's a story that they actually went uh, and they were invited to a debate in this little town in Pennsylvania, um, and uh, uh, they both went to the debate, and they were actually such good debaters that they were debating the opposite side. So Nixon mm-hmm. was set up there to debate uh the the tenets of liberalism and big government mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, Kennedy was up there to uh, a debate for smaller government and conservatism and they and it was so low stakes that they just had a great time and they were laughing and joking the whole time and eventually after the debate they went to a greasy spoon and got hamburgers and talked about uh, their lives up to that point and talked about sports and all of these things and that really and they recognized the ambition in each other um, mm-hmm. That they both wanted to be the leader. They both wanted to be the president, but they respected each other for it. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1950, when Richard Nixon ran for the Senate, um, he was given a healthy contribution by Joe Kennedy Sr. Oh. Uh, because uh, his son, Jack, said, this is a good guy. This guy should be in the Senate. Wow. Um, in 1952, uh, when uh, Nixon was elected to be vice president, John F. Kennedy wrote a note to Nixon saying, I knew you would make it to the top. I just didn't think it would come so soon. <laughs> Uh, and then uh, in 1953, when Kennedy was uh, married, uh, Richard Nixon and Pat Nixon attended the wedding. Wow. Um, so, and then as uh, Kennedy got into the Senate and uh, Richard Nixon was the vice president, the pr- person in charge of the Senate, um, they were one room apart uh, in uh, the, their offices were, were right next to each other. Mm-hmm. And uh, they uh, joked and, and had a great time together. Um, in 1954, uh, John F. Kennedy continued to have horrible problems with his back pains Mm. and eventually would have to have surgery on his back again. Uh, Nixon would check in with the hospital and with Jackie constantly. Wow. Um, At one point, Jacqueline Kennedy wrote uh, that uh, there is no one my husband admires more than Richard Nixon. My goodness. Uh, John F. Kennedy was so sick during these surgeries that uh, they administered last rites to him. Um, They were expecting him to die. And Richard Nixon wrote, "Uh, poor, brave Jack is going to die. Oh, God, don't let him die. Mm. Um, In 1959, uh, at a New Year's Eve party, John F. Kennedy said that uh, if he did not get the nomination, if he himself, Kennedy, did not become the Democratic nominee, then he would vote for Richard Nixon to be president. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, it's really fascinating to see um, how friendly uh, these two men were, how much they respected each other and how similar they were and how qualified they were uh, when uh, amb- embarking on becoming president of the United States. Um, and uh, it, it really uh, uh, so the way that the election went, uh, I'm taking I feel like I'm taking up a lot of people's time here, but I, lo- I these two men are so fascinating to me. Um, but they both became the nominees of their party. And I think maybe at another time we'll go through that whole campaign uh, just on the primary side. Um, and then they decided to really uh, uh, show the American public what it was like to have two men who uh, liked and respected each other uh, debate the issues. And so yes. they had the first uh, presidential de- televised 
presidential debates in American history. It was a mm-hmm. series of four debates. Uh, the first was uh, September 26 of 1960. Uh, Richard Nixon this time was the one who was very sick. Um, he had actually suffered a knee injury and it had become infected. No, no. And he was in the hospital for two weeks before the debate. Um, he had lost lots of weight. Um, his suits did not fit him well anymore. Uh, he looked sickly. Mm-hmm. And uh, when they got to the uh, to the studio where they're going to have this debate, he heard John F. Kennedy say, refuse the makeup people uh, mm-hmm. that the studio was providing. Well, that's because John F. Kennedy had his own makeup people. Uh, right. He did not want the studio makeup people. But mm-hmm. Nixon heard this and said, well, if, if Jack doesn't need makeup, then I don't need makeup either. Mm-hmm. And that then the, the camera saw this sickly, pale man who had just fought uh, this horrible infection, um, skinny and five o'clock shadow. And uh, oh, he, no. he sweated profusely from his upper lip, a thing that he would combat his entire life. And his suit was the wrong color. It blended into the background uh, behind oh, him. No. He did not. Uh, it's interesting that he really pioneered so much in media uh, technology, but really was far behind what the Kennedys were up to. And uh, everyone who watched uh, this debate on television said that Kennedy, this young, tanned movie star uh, 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 (laughs) against Nixon, that Kennedy was the guy that he won Mm -hmm. hands down. But all the people who listened on radio said that Nixon won. That all the the, the logic and the strategies and and the rhetoric that Nixon had that uh, down. Uh, so, but that, it, it was 1960. It was time for this new era and, uh, image mattered so much. And, uh, so, uh, eventually it would go all the way to the election. And it, this was one, this was the closest election in the 20th century. Mm-hmm. Um, Kennedy ended up winning the popular vote by two tenths of 1%. Wow. Uh, and, there are tons of stories of voter irregularities. Um, mm-hmm. Kennedy had uh, uh, the dailies in, in Chicago and Illinois, and he mm-hmm. had Lyndon Johnson in Texas. And mm-hmm. uh, Lyndon Johnson was uh, uh, not someone who shied away from stuffing a ballot box or two or five. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, and, and Republicans saw this. Dwight Eisenhower saw this and said, we need to have a recount. This is not mm-hmm. right. And Richard Nixon mm-hmm. said, no. We mm-hmm. th- look at what we're up against with the Soviet Union and with mm-hmm. uh, a nuclear uh, Armageddon at any moment. Uh, we cannot stumble at this time. We right. cannot mm-hmm. be worried. Uh, it would take six months. There's no computers. It would take mm-hmm. six months to figure out what all the actual votes were. No, right. I'm going to concede. John F. Kennedy is the president. I mm-hmm. am going to I will be in the loyal opposition. I will help him and whatever he mm-hmm. needs. And all of mm-hmm. us as Republicans need to come together as Americans to help wow. Kennedy in the new administration. Uh, mm-hmm. So not only are were they great friends up to this point, uh, Nixon, as competitive as he was, saw the, the greater scheme here that that we need to get past this and let uh, this new administration uh, come into power. Uh, right. So 
it, it is um it, it's so interesting that this election was physically so close and the that astrologically it was uh it was close it was it was hard to tell exactly uh yes. who, who was a winner here because this did help nixon's career in the long run uh, right. this did he did move houses he was no longer mm-hmm. in the naval observatory uh he yeah. wanted to be in the white house but he didn't get yeah. that uh, yeah. But uh, Kennedy on the other side, definitely charm and communication and, mm-hmm. and unexpected things. Or maybe uh, he expected them, but nobody else did uh, with his mm-hmm. friends in Chicago and in Austin. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, uh, all of the I, I think um, the, I, I hope that I've, I've given our, our listeners a, a big bang for our uh, season finale here with these two. Well, I think you absolutely have, Chandler. And I have to say that it's very interesting that I did not know who we were talking about and that it could have been like Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis because of the level of partnership, uh, you know, aspects going on here. And I had no idea that Nixon and uh, Kennedy were close at all. I had, I had no idea. This is not something they teach you in school. So that is not uh, something the average person I think knows. But um, I also think that all of the information that you're giving here is very important um, for people who are researching and who are interested in learning more about these two men. You asked me at one point what kind of debater uh, Nixon would be. And I looked immediately to Mercury because that's where you usually look. But then realizing that the Midhaven is in Gemini and that he has Pluto and Gemini in the 10th house, you know, clearly he was an excellent debater and he was very um, intricate with his research and, you know, all of his Mercury and Capricorn and all that. But I do find it very interesting uh, that when you look at that particular day, see, on that day, Nixon had everything transiting his 12th house, which is karmic, right? It was not his time. It wasn't that time because once it comes out, once you've dealt with that, then you have the transits go through your first house and then it's your time. See, Kennedy had everything going through his first house, right? So it was his time. But uh, it, it, it is very interesting how it turned out. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, uh, yeah, this, I mean, and, and there's just so, so much that, that you were saying that is just absolutely right on. Uh, for both of these, I'm not sure how many people would say that Richard Nixon was a, a weird. Well, they'd say that he was weird, but maybe not a, a funny <laughs> man. But if you ever listen through the tapes, he he makes some uh, he makes some pretty good, pretty good cracks every once in a while. Um, and and uh, yeah, just and and then you know Kennedy with smug uh, and cool and pretty mm-hmm. and sexy. Um, yes, and you're not seeing that first impression on Nixon. Most people mm-hmm. would never say that Nixon was attractive, but you see the pictures of him with his shirt off at the beach. I could see what Pat went for eventually. Oh, well, I, I think he was probably an excellent partner and did follow his North Node in the seventh house with her. And that was really good. But um, yeah, I mean, Uranus in Aquarius in the fifth house 
It could make you very different, all right? The Gemini on the Midhaven and the Gemini, Pluto, Pluto and Gemini in the 10th house could make you funny and charming and um, very good at debate. Definitely very, very good at debate. I have the hiccups now. So that's handy. But um, excellent choices, Chandler. Excellent. And I do think that it would be uh, interesting as we move forward. I mean, I know that our listeners are not aware, because this is our first season, that you have planned uh, snippets. So we're not going away completely. We're still going to have more information. So I think you'll probably explain that to them as you start to round out. But um, this is all very fascinating and very interesting information that um, I did not know. Uh, But I must say that Kennedy with all that eighth house and that sun in the eighth house, that's hidden things. That's legacy. That's there's hidden stuff there in his legacy mm-hmm. that uh, maybe nobody will ever know. And and in the family, it's all connected to family and legacy and inheritance. Right. Inheritance. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then yeah. and then working with the siblings. I mm-hmm. mean, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, the, it's all it's all there. Oh yeah, it's all right it's there. All there. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, but I mean, also Nixon did have Chiron in the sixth house, but he wasn't sick like that. So that's very interesting. I'll have to look. I mean, I didn't look at any of the squares or oppositions or trying. So if I went deeper into Kennedy, I could probably find exactly why he was so sick. But he does have Chiron in the sixth house, which is the wounded healer. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, on our scale of right on the money to uh, way out in outer space, uh, this is uh, definitely right on the money for both of these guys uh i think for uh for dean and jerry it might be way out there but uh, for jack and dick this is this is it this is these two guys well we'll see i don't know maybe somebody will have to get me to do dean and jerry we'll see exactly how different they are we'll see Uh, so, uh, we'd like to just thank you all so much, uh, for all the support and, uh, everything that, uh, our, our listeners, I like to call you guys stargazers, uh, what you all, um, have done for us. Um, there are people that I know who listen, and then there are people all over that I've never met. And, uh, this started out in October as, uh, just a little fun idea, just a little experiment. And every one of these is an experiment. Uh, most of them go really well. Some of them are uh, get a little rocky when we don't have the birth times, but um, it's still so much fun and uh, so much uh, enjoyment, at least on our end, uh, that we're having uh, looking at these charts. And uh, uh, so, uh, thank you so much for uh, listening and uh, and supporting us. And if you'd like to support us uh, on our social media, we have the links provided to you in the description. We also have the the, um, link to our PayPal account if you're feeling extra generous. Every little bit helps us to uh, grow the show and make a better quality show for you all. And uh, uh, Mom, is there uh, anything else that uh, you'd like to add? Yes, I also want to say thank you so much. And it's amazing to me because I am not a professional astrologer. I never claim to be a professional astrologer. I have 
worked for professional astrologers uh, decades ago, but I have learned so much in just doing what we've been doing. And you keep pushing me, Chandler, which is really good. I'm wanting me to do more things. And I'm honestly just blown away. But um, I also want to sincerely thank all of you for listening to the show and even re-listening to it. I've heard um, that you guys go back and re-listen to other episodes. I know I do because I'm really interested in uh, once I know who it is, then I could get more information. But we really appreciate you being there. We just want you to know how much we appreciate you. And we just love you all. And thank you so much for being there with us. And we will uh, be back in, I'm sure Chandler's going to tell you, I'm guessing it's just a few weeks with season two. Yes, uh, so uh, this is the season finale, so uh, we'll take a, a, a break. Uh, we won't have like a, an actual episode like we've been doing uh, every week uh, for uh, about a month or so. Uh, so we're going to be posting some little bonus episodes where we take a little um, deep dive into some people that we've covered before. Those will be coming out every other Friday. And then uh, I think I have it scheduled for around the beginning of, uh, of July. Uh, we will be back with season two and uh, then we will uh, continue on uh, our, our, our experimental journey together awesome and please message us in all the social medias we really want to hear from you we love hearing from you it's awesome yeah that, that, that's uh, really great when we get to uh, hear from you and your thoughts and suggestions for uh, future subjects and uh, all of that good stuff Uh, So, uh, as always in conclusion, as long as your uh, houses are in order and the stars are aligned, everything will be just fine. Yep, everything is going to be just fine. It always is, one way or another. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. 
That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.